Well, hello and good afternoon, good morning, good evening, whatever time it happens to be, wherever you are. Uh, my name is Guy Stevens. I'm the founder and executive director here of the Alliance Against Seclusion Restraint. Thank you for joining us again for another one of our uh, live series interviews. Uh, we've got a really great program on tap for today. I want to tell you a little bit about the Alliance in case you're not aware of who we are. Uh, the Alliance Against Seclusion Restraint was uh, really put together to raise awareness and uh, to promote change around the use of restraint and seclusion in schools around the nation. Uh, and really to help to reduce and eliminate those kinds of practices along with you know suspension, expulsion, all the other things that are being done to kids instead of working with them in positive ways. Uh, our mission is to educate the public and connect people together that are interested in uh, changing minds, laws, policies, and practices so that restraint and seclusion are reduced and eliminated across the nation and beyond. Ultimately, we wanna see safer schools for students, teachers, and staff. Today, we are very excited to have Lori Petro joining us for a special interview. Uh, please feel free to ask Ask questions during the interview. We'll, we'll be taking your questions as we go. Uh, the session is, of course, as always, being recorded. It will be available to listen to on uh, YouTube or Facebook. And we also have it available as an audio podcast if you just want to download and listen to the audio. So as always, before we get started, I uh, want to go ahead and introduce you to our amazing co-host, uh, Beth Tolley. Hey, Beth. Hey. Uh, Beth is our Director of Educational Strategy here at the Alliance Against Seclusion Restraint. She retired in 2018 from a leadership position in Virginia's lead agency for early intervention for infants and toddlers. Uh, she has experience as a parent, grandparent, and uh, working with others of children who have had behavioral challenges. And that's fueled her passion to improve the lives of children and their families uh, through education, mutual support, and advocacy. So Beth, welcome as always. It's uh, great to see you. Thank you. And I know you are uh, just as excited as I am about our guest today. So I'm going to go ahead and bring Lori up. And if you would be so kind uh, to introduce Lori, that'd be fantastic. All right. Well, I'm thrilled to have Lori. I've known Lori. Um, I think we met personally at a, at a conference first and then over the years, just um, watching her work and being and taking her courses. Um, I have a lot of respect for what Lori does. She's the founder of Teach Through Love and the creator of Conscious Communication Cards. She holds a bachelor's in elementary and early childhood education and a certification in trauma-informed parent education. She founded Teach Through Love after her own self-healing journey as a vehicle to provide parents with a new framework for communicating with kids. Lori is passionate about promoting social reform through education, community building, and storytelling. A champion of conscious parenting and non-punitive justice, she's a board member of the nonprofit Stop Spanking. She's happiest when creating informative and entertaining content to help others heal their inner child and build authentic relationships. So welcome, we're thrilled to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank you both. I'm so excited to be here. Absolutely, Lori. We're, we're we're really excited, and you know, I was just thinking as, as Beth was talking and, and going through your intro. I love teach through love. You know, I mean, just just the name teach through love and, and the message behind it. Uh, you know, we're of course living in a world where often it's teach through compliance or teach through you know so so many other things that that right. aren't. Working. Yeah, but but you know the, the whole idea that I think that so many of us are trying to promote is the importance of relationship, the importance of connection, the importance of love and uh, love also that you're part of the Stop Spanking um, you know, group as well. Amazing people really trying to do great work. So really excited to have you here today. Yeah, thank you. I'm so excited to talk. So well, this, go ahead, Beth is ready to go. Guy and I do. We both start talking at the same time. <laughs> um, I was reading your biography, your story 
uh, on the website again. And uh, one of the things that attracted me to your work was how down to earth and accessible it was that I could go on. You have things that people can purchase, but you also have an amazing amount of content that's free. And so that was one piece. The other piece was the conscious communication cards that we'll talk about later. Um, but as I was reading your story, um, I, I had wondered, had you had time to, as a teacher, uh, and, and you went into a number of different things you did before you took this on, I assume this is all full time now. Do you wanna uh, talk a little bit about that, how that laid the groundwork for, for what you do? and what you create <laughs> so i yeah i i mean like i said or, or you said in my sorry now i feel like we've had these conversations <laughs> I, it came from i guess you said in my in my bio but i do everything because it was about me understanding my own journey at least when i started mm -hmm. and that and it that's even teach through love i was I, and I did many different things. I have like an ADHD brain. I've worked in many different industries, education. I was working in entertainment when Teach Through Love came just downloaded into my brain when I was trying, I was writing a story, a script about a dysfunctional family and emotional abuse and verbal violence. Cause that's what I grew up with so much. I grew up behind like this veil of suburban, suburban normalcy but behind those closed doors was mental illness and a lot of violence. And it wasn't violence that was steeped in, you know, poverty and where things where people could really see it. Like you could see that you were surrounded in violence. It was all hidden. Mm -hmm. I didn't really know how to deal with that. And that's where everything. Started. So when I started, I started because I had, I was like, I had teach through love. I didn't know what I was doing with it. Um, I made a pamphlet, actually I just came across the very first pamphlet that I made, which was like this brochure that before like computers were even really, like nobody was online all the time. And I was like making it in like word. And it was just how it was like facts about emotional abuse and how we can change the way we speak to kids and what it does and all these things about what we don't know. I had no idea what I was doing. I just was really passionate about I've always had a very visceral reaction. So aside from my personal journey, I think as a highly sensitive introvert, I always had a very strong reaction to any kind of violence or, uh, you know, just conflict. And so I would always see it and want to like help like people to, cause I would see that they weren't listening and they weren't understanding each other. And even as I grew, like as a young woman in my twenties, I would watch, friends that were in a conflict, like a boyfriend and a girlfriend or a couple that was in a relationship that would have conflict. And I would be able to like narrate for them and say what they were really trying to say to each other. And the, you know, one person would be like, yeah, that's what I mean. The other one would be like, yeah, that's what I mean. I'm like, see you guys. And I would just do it, you know, just because I hated seeing that conflict. So that's all. I'm sorry. I know I probably went on a tangent there, but it came very much from me always not wanting something different and then having this passion for um, just changing the way that we speak to each other. I grew up, I mean, I was in the suburban place, but I was also like, it was hidden because I was a girl and I was privileged, but I also was suspended twice before ninth grade for fighting. And I was the initiator. Um, I was constantly talking back. I had an attitude the size of, you know, the United States. I had a big, <laughs> on my shoulder. 
So I had like communication was the thing that I was the worst at growing up. And so here I am now. <laughs> so uh, Lori, I'm, uh, I am um, really interested in what were your sources for learning? I mean, because what you've done with those conscious communication cards is just brilliant. It is so helpful and useful. It takes things that we're all dealing with and makes it in usable, understandable, aha kind of uh, terms. So how'd you learn that? Well, thank you. I just think that I have, I, you know, I, I'm a learner. Like I le I listen and learn and I, I have a memory that will, if it's important to me or I'm passionate about it, I just remember it. So a lot of people always ask me, like, how did you learn everything? Cause I don't have a master's in like clinical, you know, social work or like, I don't have any higher education degrees that are formal, but I, I have a way, like, I just have one of those gifts of translating and helping people. Like, I just can, I don't know why I just see it that way. And it's like, I don't understand how people don't see it. It's almost like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I can't see it any other way. I don't know. And I know how to be like verbally violent for sure. That was my foundation. But I don't know how to not see the flip side. So I don't really know how I learned. I feel a lot of this really was just meant for me. It was very much meant to be. It was, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. It sounds so woo woo. Yeah. But I just that's just where it comes from for me. And of course, I read a lot of different things and, and learning about emotions was mm -hmm. huge. So. Yeah, you know, but as you reflect on it, I hear you because sometimes our journeys are hard to describe. But do you do you recall any kind of aha moment where suddenly it was like a click with you? You know, some of the challenges that you had seen, you know, through your own experience, you know, with communication. Was was there anything that kind of caused that aha moment to happen? Well, honestly, the communication cards were just an accident. Right. So I never was. I w I was doing that for. I just started posting them online. I never, because people would always say, well, what do I say? What do I say? I get it. I want to be empathetic. I want to connect with this kid, but I don't know what to say. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I can do that for you. Like that was it. And so I just started posting them online and I had been posting them for years and giving them away in my classes and talking about it. And I think um, certainly nonviolent communication, um, that idea that, the, that there's, um, that there are needs and feelings that are motivating. That was definitely uh, something that stuck in my mind. Mm -hmm. I don't follow it. I don't, I'm not an NVC practitioner. Like I don't know it enough to speak about it um, properly, but it was definitely some of the principles there helped shape it. But it was very much, I just started doing it online because people were asking and then yep. it was, yeah. So, so it might be helpful. I know we, we kind of talked about getting to the cards a little later, but we've made enough reference to them that people are probably wondering, like, what are, you talking what, about? what are these cards that we're talking about? So maybe you can tell us a little bit about the cards. And, and maybe if you have an example or two that you could show us, uh, it might help people that keep wondering what, what we're talking about with these cards. Yeah, absolutely. So I have some here. I have, so I, Beth was talking about, um, I don't know if this was before or during our conversation, but the first deck that I did was for parents. And it was, I took all the cards that I'd made over the years and organized them and categorized them and categorized them was part of the process of making the deck because they hadn't been categorized before. And I, I came up with, in my work, I always use a, a foundation of support, stress, and skills. 
we need to get connected, we need to help kids regulate, and then we can build skills. Like that's just how I like every, it can be the first aid, it can be the way to look for the root cause of behavior. So I, the cards were created around that idea. And the first deck I did was the parent deck. Um, Actually, these are, these are open over here. So these are all, these are color coded by, this was the first deck. And then you kind of, I don't know if you kind of see them, but there's like the support card that gives you the information about what they do. So support stress and skills is the foundation because for me, whenever we're trying to figure out how to communicate about behavior, we have to look at the root cause. So I know that, and parents all want the same thing. We want, or teachers, anyone who works with kids, we want kids who are, we want good relationships with kids. So there's the support. We want kids who are regulated. So there's the part about the regulation and we want them to have the kind of skills that they need to navigate life. So that's the skill building. So that's how they're, they're categorized. And of course there's cards and they basically are cards that give you, I don't know if you can really see them with the the light like that on the top, on the parent deck, on the top, it gives you examples of what we normally say. So things to avoid, like avoid blame. Like I don't have time for this every day, or you should be able to get things done without my help. It's time to grow up and do things for yourself kind of thing. You know, we can even um, be kind about it. Like, you know, I'm not going to be here to help you all the time. But what (laughs) does that do to a child? So Mm. it talks about, and then on the bottom part, I think honestly in the light, the light's bad. Um, This is where we give the phrasing for what we can say instead. So it just basically gives you what you would normally say and then translates that language into something more positive, more helpful quality feedback. I'm all about quality feedback. What are we telling kids to help them change their position? Because if it's just blame and shame and all those things, but the quality feedback actually helps them feel resourceful. It helps them feel connected, helps them feel safe. All of those things that they need to be in school or, or they need to be at home, you know, that we want them to be. But most of the time we know our discipline is doing the exact opposite. So that's the examples of the cards. They have the three different categories. And then I have the three educator. I was looking for the other yeah, categories. I'm going to stop for a minute while we're talking about the parent cards, because I want to say a couple things about that. Um, one of the things is I think the top part where you say what we normally say, and as you said, sometimes we say it very nicely, but when you see them on the card, you see, oh my word, that's, it's kind of like, wow, you, you get you get the feel for this is what I've been saying and this is what it feels like if I say it. Um, that's one of the things I really liked about them. The other thing was, um, <laughs> I'm just looking at one of the things here. Um, one, of, The other thing was, <clears throat> it's not like a, so much of what's done in education now is completely scripted with this, do this, with this, do this, with this, say it exactly this way. I don't see your cards that way. I see your cards teaching, giving you the, as, as you give the examples of what to say instead, they're not just words to memorize. They help you think through what it is you're saying and why you're saying it. Um, yeah, and I'm sorry, the, um, on top of, not just in addition to the phrasing, but there are uh, emotional shifts to make. There are d- directions to go, you know, an attitude shift to walk in with, a perspective shift. So it'll say, just notice without judgment. So even if the phrasing doesn't match the exact situation or it doesn't feel comfortable, 
Can you just notice without judgment? Can you just be curious about something? Can you just offer a sensory tool? Because you know that we're working on regulation right now. We're not even going to be able to talk. So it that's the teaching part that for me makes them not just, yes, just like a script. It's not just like a script and right. figure it out, but it's like, this is how we can actually shift the way we look at a situation, which is the most important thing that you have to do if you're actually going to use the language because you can't use the language without the perspective shift or it won't work. Right. Yeah, yeah and it, it seems to me one of the most important things that happens here is that perspective shift and getting people to think about what are the impacts of the words that I might normally use? And, and by using other words, by having other things, just taking a pause long enough to think before you react, you know, because as we react, we, we tend to have kind of reactions that might become escalated even as adults. And, and that's going to then further escalate the situation. So just having that moment to say, let me think about this. Let me try this different approach. It seems like that there's so much value in there, you know, teaching people kind of why the things they say may be, you know, escalating a situation and then tell, you know, kind of having them be thoughtful. So rather than going to their amygdala and getting uh, reactive, you know, it's kind of like, let's go back to the frontal cortex. Okay, what what should I do here? Yeah. <laughs> and and I'll, I'll say another thing about um, one of my roles in the job before I retired was training, training and technical assistance. And I worked for 20 years, 19 years, however many it was at, at the state level. And we've spent many, many, many years uh, telling people what they needed to do um, because the law said you needed to do it, because the research was showing that that was the way to do. But it wasn't until we started doing a better job of demonstrating and coaching and, um, you know, showing what it looked like. And I think that's what your cards are doing. They're giving, it's it's not a set of instructions for people to do. It's really, it's really um, playing it out. It, it, giving something that people can take and use. And I, I've used them. I just wanted to um, comment too. I, I've used them as um, uh, giving a program at um, the mental health conference for our state uh, youth and what is it? Family and youth uh, conference um, as well as personally. So anyway, um, just a comment about how I found them really helpful. I'm so grateful for you sharing because you're, I mean, when we share them with people too, it's just, they get, I don't know, they're just so powerful for me mm -hmm. to see the change that people go, oh, wow, I never thought about this as being blaming. I just said this to my kids last week, or I just said this to my class last week, and you're right. And it's, I don't want to blame or shame. I do. I want to help. And, I, and so I'm so grateful for you to, that people are getting, you seeing them in trainings and really getting the benefit of that, because that's, like the more people, because we, none of us, most of us were not raised right, right. with this kind of communication or conflict resolution. So if we don't have that foundation either, we're at, we can't ask them to do that with kids until we give it to practitioners. That's one of my biggest, oh, like it hurts because I know that we're, we put so much pressure on teachers and people in schools and to do that, to make this change and do this change. And yet they don't know, they don't have the support or the training to do most of what we really need change in um, education and any kind of childcare system. So it's, it's- You're right, I totally agree. And that's a good segue into these new educator cards that uh, 
um, I was taking a look at last night. So could you talk about those? And before you do, let me let me just bring up a quick question here before we get to the educator. People are asking about spouse cards. So, you know, that, that might be your next, uh, your next so endeavor. I have several... It's so funny how many people are like, oh, we need a deck for corporate. We need a deck for partners. We need a deck for all of these different. So there are many, there's a special needs deck. There's many different um, decks on the list, on the wish list. And there are a couple new ones. And we just finished three new, we, me and some wonderful supportive educators and others um, that have just helped create these. I'm really proud of these because they're the first, I don't know, they're just, you know, you do something and you just get to elevate it, make it even better than the first. And these are just three decks for elementary school. I have some here. They're a little bit different because, so there's three grades for early childhood up to about second grade and then an elementary school deck and then a middle school, um, middle high school deck we have. And these decks are a little bit different. We put the positive statements at the top so that we could sort of highlight that instead. And then the what to avoid is at the bottom now. Mm -hmm. um, just made it just made it a little bit better. And they're also color coded, but they also have symbols. So that makes them just a little bit easier to sort of go through. So we have um, the sun is the symbol for the skills. And then for um, the water is for the to relax the regulation and these cards i you know i don't know i'm just really excited about these they're brand new i literally just got them in the last couple of weeks and um so we have some we've had some people use them and some feedback and it's all been really positive so well can you get can you give us a kind of a good real world example of a of a scenario and, and maybe how a card might be helpful yeah, so this is the elementary school deck. So I've got a couple of titles. You tell me if anything stands out. We've got, um, and they can be positive or negative because sometimes we're saying things to our kids like, oh, you're so smart. You can do this, but we're doing it in a way that doesn't actually. So there's raise, you know, raise your hand, keep trying. Don't make me repeat myself. Stop fidgeting. Any of those? Yeah, any of those would be great examples. Uh, let's do the fidgeting one. Okay, so stop fidgeting. Things we normally say to an elementary school school children, settle down, stop fidgeting. You know, you're being disruptive to others. So we want them to notice their behavior, right? We have good intentions. Um, do you need to sit alone in the back of the room? That's when we start to isolate, right? That's the very first step in isolating and you know, and then if the behavior doesn't improve from there, then we get to the more harsher forms like right, right. restraint, right? When kids' behavior gets really out of control. So instead, if we can go in and we can notice without judgment, we can just say, you're having trouble working on your independent reading. What's up? Mm -hmm. Give the child a chance to, right. to and they might, because they're not being reprimanded, they might actually be like, whoa. You want to know what I have to say? Right, 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 right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't help but hearing that and, and you know, think about Ross Green and yeah, that's just crazy. Yeah, but, but it's the same principle. It's like, let's engage yeah. a child and, and get involved with supporting the child and, and listening. You know, kid, kids are sometimes surprised just because somebody actually cares what's going on. Yes. Exactly. Well, we see, we, we as adults assume we know what we're supposed to be telling the kids and that we're supposed to know. And I know that was a big, when I started this work, it was to me the big aha is that I really needed to, and I had lots of coaches to help me with this. I needed to stop talking and listen more. 
because <laughs> what I was saying was not being heard, uh, and and it was keeping me from learning, keeping me from get, understanding what was going on with the kids. But I was doing exactly what I thought I was supposed to do. Um, so we have a lot of learning to do as adults. Um, there were a couple things you said that made me think. Uh, one of is that is a favorite phrase of Ross Green's is what's up. And it introduces, it's so non-threatening that it opens up the conversation for the for the kid. And and what I've noticed with, with your work is that you are consistent with uh, a lot of the folks who are doing specific trainings about different things. So like Ross is the um, collaborative and proactive solutions. And then you're consistent with the the three different things about the regulating and the uh, support, and I'm going to say I'm wrong, but, and I'm going to piece that together with what you said about not having this uh, higher, higher uh, education degree or whatever, uh, with two things, two points I'd like to make. One is, I think if we can take our experiences and use them, that is unbelievably valuable. Uh, more, you can get, if you're and you sound like a real learner who you're, you were reading all the time, that is as every bit as valuable as the degree. Um, now, to get a job, maybe not, but that's their problem. Uh, one of the studies that while I was doing technical assistance was they were trying to figure out what is the level of education people should have to do to work with kids at a certain level. And the study showed that it wasn't the degree that mattered so much as how the people were with the kids and what they did with the kids. So the degrees did not predict who was going to be the, the best teachers for the kids. So yeah, no problems about a degree. Yeah. And I'm not really, I know that it's, it's a big deal to a lot of people. I don't, I looked into higher degrees and I was like, I'm not spending 60 grand to go yeah. back to school. You know, like I was just like, no, I just said, I don't have, but I know that it's some people will go, well, what makes you so, you know, entitled to speak about something like this? And you don't know what you're talking about. Mostly just on my YouTube channel and things, you know, people get obnoxious, but, but it doesn't really, I am also on the spectrum. I'm self-diagnosed, but I don't really need anybody else to tell me that I'm, you know, that too, because when I was 38, it was like the missing piece of the puzzle that fell so I'm very much self-taught in everything I do. I could never work for anybody else anyway. I like to work collaboratively, but I was never going to be like in corporate working as an employee or working in, you know, higher education or something. It just, it, it didn't suit my personality or my skills, you know, and all of that kind of thing. But I totally agree with you because it's really about empathy. You know, how much empathy do you have when you're working? And I don't actually work with, children because I don't really have the skills for that either. <laughs> I'm very good at training adults, but that takes a lot of patience, a lot of empathy, a lot of dedication. One of my very best friends who I credit with me getting a degree in education because we were in college together and that was her major and I was a theater major and I ended up switching because of a project that she was doing and I a bunch of other reasons. Um, but she's probably the reason that I have any credibility because um, of that. But she is so dedicated. Like There's so much that teachers and people who work in, and counselors, she's a school counselor now, actually, but any of anyone who works um, with kids, especially kids that have challenging behaviors, 
that's hard, hard work. Like yeah. I'm also not saying that these cars are like, you know, the solution to everything. It's just about how can we build more peaceful environments? How can we build um, communities that care about each other and where kids want to, where they feel included and like they belong? That's of course my, my big purpose on that. Mm-hmm. So, so, so thinking I'm about gonna, that. Um, <laughs> yeah, see, we always talk at the same time. You and your like guy, we all go. So we had a little show. Okay, sure. Uh, oh, so, okay. so kind of in that vein of of you know, kind of neurodiversity, uh, and and talking about you know, I, I know I've heard you talk about how you you love helping highly sensitive people and kids with trauma and kids that are labeled with ODD and ADHD and others. Um, you know, the, the the cards are the cards kind of you know because I when, when I was thinking about uh, a couple of the examples you mentioned, uh, I thought about some of the things that people often. Um, uh, with, with perhaps, um, you know, their, their intent might be, well, I don't even want to go into intent, but, you know, things like you, you've got to look at me, you know, you've got to, you know, face me, you know, things that are very uncomfortable if you're, you're autistic or, or have other uh, forms of neurodiversity. So do your cards kind of take that into account as well in trying to, um, you know, yeah, address some of those issues? Yeah, look at me right here. Okay. 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 Well, tell me, what, what do you, what do you say on look at me? Um, so look at me, of course, you know, we dismiss the child's experience when we right. say look at me. Um, right. and, and we can oft, often give like rewards and external praise and all that kind of thing to get kids to look look at them. You know, we'll even give like extra recess time for kids right. to look you in the eye. Right. Um, but I think using a neutral tone. So on this card, using a neutral tone to connect. It's so important to just approach kids with that neutral tone and attitude because so much is said in our um in this uh, how loud our voice is the tone all of that how fast we speak like so much is communicated before our words are even processed by our by the brain um so using a neutral tone and being curious we can say i noticed you looking around the room i'm wondering if you're feeling distracted Because, you know, if you're trying to converse and they're looking all over, you can just make, you know, you can just check in to see. Because my my daughter, for example, does not want to look at you. I, I looked at the nose. When I found out why I looked at people's mouths, rather, to what, for the, re, like, my whole life, I just looked at your right. mouth when you talked. I can't look at your eyeballs. But nobody knew because I was looking right in that. Now right. I can look in the center. of somebody told me the center, I was like, ooh, that's even better. It's up higher. Um, but instead of forcing children to then do it our way, we can say, you know what, think about what I'm saying and put two fingers in the air if it makes sense. So then we can get feedback. We can get their um, mm-hmm. acknowledgement without just forcing them to look forcing at us. Forcing them to comply, right? Yeah, right. forcing them to yeah. comply in that. Because it doesn't tell us that they actually hurt us anyway. No, no. I mean, my, my son can be looking around the room and, and you know, seeming like he's not at all engaged and, and tell you everything was happening to the from the person that was speaking, as well as a conversation that happened behind him. You know, he used to come home from school and tell us all the things when the teachers would have private conversations about their day. <laughs> so, you know, looking at, at someone is, is certainly not a prerequisite to, to um, you know, listening and hearing. And I think, you know, people often put these demands on on everyone that are, are really tough for some. So anyway, that was my question. I was just curious how you address that. Yeah, definitely. It's super important as someone who experienced that and also, you know, just my daughter, but even coming in um, and making it setting achievable goals. Like maybe we, there's a time and a place that children are going to need to look at people. Maybe there's, that's a skill that they want that we're working on with someone. 
I'm not saying that it's never appropriate to ask, um, to work on that with children, but just not making that a, and then we can set an achievable goal. Like, you know, I think that, um, do I say something on the cards? Oh no, it's just making it, oh, making it, making it appropriate to them. So on this card, it says, you know, writing down the steps is helpful so that you can refer back to it. So now it's not that I'm making sure that you're listening to me, but I'm giving you a tool. Like maybe you want to write things down because then you can refer back to it. And then it's okay if they, because sometimes kids, like I know my daughter, she's very auditory sensitive. So she will actually, sometimes it helps her to, you know, to look away, to hear things, but also she'll check out. If things are overstimulating and you're talking too fast or there's too many other people talking while you're talking, her looking away is also her checking out. Mm -hmm. So we do want to make sure that we're saying to kids, here's a way that you can make sure that this gets done or that you can achieve this, you know, whatever the situation is in school, whether it's something they have to follow or listen or rules or, you know, directions, whatever it may be, making sure that we're also following up with mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, that skill-based tool. Mm -hmm. And and the, the thing about look at me and that it's all based on assumption that that's the way uh, that that's necessary in order to process information or to respect the person or whatever. And there are so many rules we have that we've not questioned. Um, and I think we're at a great place now where we're questioning some of those and putting it like what you do, Teach Through Love is putting the kids' well-being first ahead of these rules that we're not even sure where they came from. Um, but I'm, I got three things now. I had two before, but now I have three. Can I say something really quick? Because oh, you yeah. reminded me of that when you said the assumption. So we also assume ability of children. We assume that they're capable of what we're asking. Mm -hmm. Right. Because maybe we've seen it before. Right. And so I think if we remove that assumption of um, their ability based on what we think we know is also important because then we can always go in with this lens of, I'm going to help you meet this expectation instead of I'm going to stand over here and wait for you to meet this expectation. Right. And, and, and kids, because of where they are as far as being regulated or not, may do something one day and not be able to do it the next day very right. genuinely. So, yeah. and you made me think about, so we want to presume competence, but not assume that they're able to have the skill to do presume competence that they can learn or that they may know more than we know they know, but not assume that they can do the skill that we're asking them. Does that make sense? I mean, I never thought of it until you were saying about. I, mean, I think that we can, oh, there's always the potential yeah. for them to meet that expectation. But if they're showing us that they're, that they can't, then right. that's when we shouldn't assume that they can. Absolutely. <laughs> like if they're showing us with their behavior, right? Right. Yeah. And I think those are two different things. Okay. So one of the things, the one of the first things you said that made me think, uh, we've talked about challenging kids, but we've been kind of trying to move. Uh, I've moved from saying that I had, uh, that my grandkids and kids were all challenging to saying, that their behaviors challenge the adults around them. Yeah. Um, and then uh, uh, as I've read more of the work of Stuart Shanker and also uh, Stephen Porges, they're talking about distressed behavior or, or stressed behavior, stress responses, as opposed to, so it helps make that distinction that we see our schools not making. Schools see all behaviors as being volitional. But if we, when we recognize that 
a lot of the behaviors that are difficult for us adults are stress behaviors that are not intentional. Anyway, I just wanted to throw that out. And where your cards come in that I, I have this example that has just, I probably talk about it every time. It just eats at me. It eats at me. A child in Virginia uh, who was known to have a disability, six years old, um, ran out of steam about noon and the teacher, he moved from one class to the next class and the teacher said, you need to finish your work. If you don't finish your work, you're gonna, you're making a red choice now. Uh, and they had the behavior charts and everything. And, and, I, and I was able to see the documentation for uh, what was done before the child ended up being restrained. Um, he ended up turning tables over and throwing chairs. He went into a full-blown fight reaction uh, when what he wanted to do was escape. Um, he, when I read the, the document of what led up to that, and I read, pre-printed, I think it was, thing, the words that were on there to help de-escalate the child, they needed your cards because those words were things like, remind him of the reward, remind him of the positive response, remind him of a reward he'll get, remind him of, you know, it was all stuff that was like, oh my gosh, talk about a kid who's already can't cope and you re remind him of what he's gonna do when he obeys something he's incapable, does something he's incapable of doing. I just think your cards would be so good to help people understand the difference between de-escalating and escalating. And so when I think about kids who struggle, I think it's because the adults haven't had the education. So they don't have the words that are being used and the lack of recognition of the, you know, whether it's coming from the cognitive brain or the, uh, react, you know, the fight, flight, fight, emotional brain. The, it's so easy to escalate kids without realizing you're the one who is doing it. <laughs> you're not de-escalating. We have a very punitive mindset in, yes. for the most part. And that is very, it has a very strong hold in society. Um, and I think that that's, it's not only the, it perpetuates the violence and it's the, you know, it's the cause and it just keeps perpetuating itself. So it's kind of, it's a hard cycle to break, which is why I think I started working um, mm -hmm. in resources for parents because I know that it that's one of the first places. But schools, yeah, we need new resources for, for teachers and, um, and counselors and everybody to... Yeah. Hey, Beth, can I jump in for a second? Oh, Just yeah, kind yeah. of on that note, um, you know, Lori, I'd like to, you know, I want to backtrack a little bit. Uh, and, and this kind of gets at where you were heading with that, which is, you know, in, in thinking about your background and, and kind of, you know, what you've been doing, you know, we talk about that you're a champion for conscience parenting uh, and non-punitive justice. But let, let's not assume that everybody is aware of kind of what we're talking about there. What do you mean when you're talking about conscious parenting and what's involved in conscience parenting? And if you could add on to that kind of the, the non-punitive approach. Yeah. So for me, conscious parenting is not a set of rules. Um, you know, I don't want to give people, this is what you have to do to be a conscious parent. It's, 
about being conscious. It's about just being present and aware. It's a set of beliefs about what children need to thrive mentally, physically, emotionally, and what that compromises and what that is, is relationship, co-regulation, and then the, you know, skill building. They need those three things. They need to feel safe. They need to feel important. They need to feel connected, purposeful. There's so many needs, right, that kids have. But the idea behind conscious parenting is not anything other than I want to just be aware that I'm in a relationship with a child because most parenting is done from this top down perspective of, Oh, I have to, you know, and it doesn't mean that we're not leaders and we're not teachers. It just means that we don't set up this adversarial relationship where there's a power hierarchy where we're powering over our children all the time. Mm -hmm. And that, and of course that is very much in place in a lot of homes and it's very much in place in a lot of our other systems, you know, whether it be, in the courts or whether it be in schools or wherever it is. So it's, you know, it's everywhere. It's going to take a lot to change, but non-punitive means simply that there aren't like, my daughter doesn't receive punishments in the, in terms of adult imposed pain or restriction. That's not for safety. Like I don't, if she's throwing something at when she's 15 now, she doesn't do those things, but if she was young and she was throwing something at somebody, it doesn't mean that I don't take away the thing that she was throwing. It means that I don't punitively say, if you don't stop doing that, you're going in a timeout. Or if you don't stop, we're taking that away. It says, I go up to her and I say, while you're having some trouble, this is going to hurt somebody. I'm going to help you. I'm going to take this. Let's see what else we can do. Or, you know, we're finding out why she was struggling in that moment. It's just coming in with that perspective of, I want to help. And what Beth was saying earlier, for me, when I was doing my trauma training, all negative behavior comes from a place of stress. That's what I was taught. So all negative behavior is, and for me, I just felt that as a, a human being from, for as long as I could remember, I thought that was true. I used to get in arguments because people would say, well, about like the, um, when you could claim um, insanity, if you killed someone, I'm like, well, clearly if someone killed someone, then they're not okay. Like they're having a mental breakdown. They have men and people would say, well, no, they know what they're doing. And it, for me, the punitive comes because we want it. We want to get back at that person because we feel like they did it on purpose instead of recognizing that there's something happening that's causing this issue. And for kids, it's usually a feeling of safety for the most mm -hmm, part. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so two quick follow-ups. One is, so when you talked about kind of defining conscious parenting, you know, I think that oftentimes parents get caught in kind of what I would say is kind of reactive parenting. So rather than being thoughtful and thinking about the approach, it's reacting. And, and, and oftentimes it's reacting based on people's own previous experiences. And I guess we're at the point in society where we know we can do better as parents, right? Um, and, and that seems to be where you're trying to get with conscious parenting. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah. And I don't want to, I don't, I'm not out to try to make people like positive parents and take away all of their um, their family values or their specific family, you know, goals or expectations. I just want us to just, yeah, become more, we do have more information. We have more access to it. Most people anyway, mm -hmm. not always, because there's so much that gets in the way of even being able to absorb that kind of information, like, you know, financial stress and people not having resources. But I want it just to, if we can start to be more present with our children and just be in, like, see it as a relationship, mm -hmm. it, just start there. I don't want to, again, I don't want to give people rules and this is what you have to do, or, you know, to be a conscious parent. It's just like, how's your relationship with your kid? Because right. I have a terrible relationship with my parents. And 
I just, you know, it just worked out that way. And I, I don't want that. Like no one should have to have, like, there's no reason why kids should have to grow up with that. If we have the ability to support parents and we yeah, do Absolutely. You know, I think relationship is so key, you know, Beth knows this, but often in education, I'm like, you know, my three R's are relationship, relationship, relationship. But I think the same holds very true, you know, at home. I think, you know, what, what I've seen in so many kids is that kids that have struggled um, at school, as an example, um, with one classroom and, and one set of staff, may miraculously do really well with a different staff member that really forms a relationship. So, you know, I think it's so important and, and I love the work you're doing. Beth, I know you're waiting with a question. I also want to encourage people that are watching, if you do have questions, feel free to put those in the chat and we'll try to get to those as well as we go through. Yeah, I, a number of things are floating in my head. Uh, one thing though, when you talked about the tone, the tone of voice and how even when we're saying um, that the kids can, can, uh, uh, suss that out. Is that a word? Suss that out? They, they hear it. They figure it out. I had a perfect example of that this morning. I'm, I'm staying with my grandkids and I called the dogs uh, to come in the house. And my granddaughter says, why are you yelling at them? Why are you being so mean? Why are you talking mean? And then she starts comforting the dogs. I had no clue that I sounded mean. I mean, I thought I was just doing what you do when you call dogs, you know? <laughs> uh, and I think there's a lot of our life that we, I, I know when I was working in, uh, in direct services, a lot of people were very stern with kids. And it's almost like we, we have to be conscious about what we're doing. And once you get there, you're better. You don't have to, it comes more naturally. But um, I love, I love that, um, this resource is here because it makes uh, the relationship so much better. And and what Denise could say to me then was, I said, really, I I didn't mean to sound mean. So we could talk about it, and it wasn't like a an accusatory thing. And it was helpful for me to get that feedback. I had no clue. <laughs> you know, Beth, it's hard to imagine you mean. So you know, oh, no, but <laughs> <laughs> surprise me. <laughs> So a quick question. Um, people have asked where to buy the cards and I put the link to your site. Uh, but what I don't see right now is a link to the teacher deck. Is that actually available for purchase yet? Yeah. So if you go on, if you click on the cards and then you just scroll down and it says all communication cards, and then it'll show you like the categories of what's available for teachers and what's available. Gotcha. Okay. Um, Excellent. We'll, we'll make that more, uh, I'll get on that. Make that I, I see now. You, you all, they're new. Yeah, they're you brand all, new. So yeah. So everything's yeah. still. They are on there. You should be able to click. There's a picture. It'll say like courses and car all cards. And then if you click. Okay, on great. All, yeah, I, I saw it now, and I'll put that link also in the chat. But you know, I'm thinking to myself that because um, I've been known to you know, buy small gifts like books for members of an IEP team. Uh, you know, like I remember giving out copies oh, of Ross Green's book. Uh, you know, these yeah. cards would be perfect for that, you know. Yeah. Uh, which are, and again, you know, uh, you know, hopefully with a educator you have a good relationship with, not as a way to say you do everything wrong, but to say, hey, you know, I came across this and it looks like a great resource. Uh, because relationships are important everywhere. And I think that relationship, you know, with an educator, you know, if you've got that good relationship, I'm sure it could really uh, help a lot. And, and all educators want their class, they want good relationships with their kids. They want kids who are able to regulate with them and respond positively 
and that's what the cards do. They're not, they're definitely not like a blame tool for teachers. They're they're. This is how you can make your classroom more compassionate, more cooperative, because it really does bring cooperation into um, this, the picture just so wonderfully because kids feel cared about. And when they feel cared about, they want to help you. They want to behave. They want, you know, behave as we say it. They want to um, meet our expectations because they, you know, yeah, I'm just gonna leave it there. <laughs> well, you know, you're, you're right. And somebody just brought up a comment uh, and it's a long one, but I'll, I'll kind of try to summarize it here. I think negative behavior does come from stress, which I think we all agree to, and tends to be reactionary. If we start at a very basic level, showing children uh, respect as human beings instead of subordinates to be controlled and to keep in mind during all interactions, punishment tends to become irrelevant and often unnecessary. Uh, calm and supportive environments lead to calm children. And, and this, I think, is very much in line with with what you were saying. And, and, and so much other work out there when we talk about our own emotions being contagions that, you know, if we're escalated, then then we're going to lead to a kid that's escalated. And that's true whether you're a parent or a teacher or anybody you might be. And a lot of us are just unaware of it. Like it wasn't, nobody has told us that if you're dysregulated, you're going to make the child more dysregulated. And so we think it's normal. And I love, um, you guys probably know Gaber Mate, but I love what he says about um, that, you know, all of these disorders that we have labels for, they're all normal responses to an abnormal world instead of abnormal responses to, you know, a normal world, which is what the traditional framework is. We're thinking, oh, these kids have challenges. Even me, I was calling them child, right? Instead of kids who are, um, you know, like having challenges, we call them like challenging behaviors and we blame the children right. um, instead of realizing that it's an adaptive mechanism. All of their behaviors, behavior is purposeful and it's all completely typical for what they may be experiencing. Yeah, and we need to take ownership of part of it as well. You know, we, we are part of any interaction that might be happening and, and our own brain state and level of escalation is so important to <laughs> what happens in the situation. Yeah. Yeah. And this, of course, does not mean that teachers are causing children to be that way. Obviously, if a child is dealing with anxiety and they are or just even being highly sensitive, I was super reactive as a kid. I had things going on at home, right, that maybe nobody knew about. But I was also very highly sensitive. It doesn't mean that the other adults are causing that, but that we have so much more influence to shape my to shape the children or my as a child, those responses than we realize that we have. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I, I would agree with you that, and, and I guess what I would say is that one of the things that we see, you know, here at the Alliance Against Seclusion Restraint and, and talking to parents and families is that kids that are restrained and secluded um, often, you know, because they have a trauma history, because they have a disability, because they may be hypervigilant, um, they begin to have a difficult time. They begin to have stress-induced behaviors. And, and sometimes what happens is a well-meaning, but potentially not aware of some of the appropriate things that they can be doing adult, you know, kind of intervenes and, and in an effort to de-escalate the situation, sometimes inadvertently escalate it by the, the words or the tone or any of those things. And, you know, again, I, it's not a matter of intent. It, it's a matter of, um, you know, not even necessarily being aware of how much influence your voice or your tone or the things you say have. Um, so sometimes we actually see people and parents are the same. We escalate situations. I can think of plenty of examples um, that, you know, I escalated situations that I could have de-escalated. I'm better at it now and I'm better at 
you know, using my calm voice and, and doing things to help bring the temperature down. But I think it is an important thing for, for educators and for parents to learn. And I think that's why your, your work is so beautiful in the decks is again, it's about being conscious. It's about being in the moment. It's about, you know, so I think it's amazing what you're doing. So Lori, are you, um, so you've got the decks for parents and for kids, both of which, I mean, for parents and for educators, educators. both of which could be used by either one. I mean, Parents could use the teacher decks. Yeah, so the little, actually the early childhood deck, definitely, because it's it's less classroom specific, environment specific, and much more about, you know, little kid issues. Um, the older decks are definitely more, they're classroom specific, a lot of them. So not something like, well, even something like look at me, you know, because we definitely talk about school-based activities. But, um, but the parent deck has been, is used by like, over a hundred school districts that and I'm just, I, there might even be more, but I know just from the years. So we sold 600 decks to um, LA County, their foster youth services. So all the educators that have act that um, help or support or tutor um, kids that have been through the foster that are in the foster system, if they're in a public school, those um, resource and support staff have the decks there and they bought and they got the parent deck way back when it first came out. So the parent deck is has also been very helpful for educators. But now that we have the educator deck, I'm definitely excited for educators to have these. But yes, in terms of I think the best one, I think the the youngest one, definitely. I think the other the two decks, the two educator decks for elementary and middle and high school are definitely um, environment specific, but the situations will definitely um, cross over a bit. Um, and one of the things I really like is the opportunity for teach, and I don't know how much you do this for teachers and parents to learn together. Is there much of that with the work you're doing? In well, in, in terms of like running a workshop or things, or um, and you have so many things you do, and I don't think people may or may not know that you have your YouTube channel, you have your free, you have Facebook, you have your uh, free resources, you have classes that are very specific and very, um, so. Four main classes. So there's a class on communication. There's a class on like an overhaul class for parents. Um, and then there's a specific class on trauma and, um, Oh, and then a class for sensitive kids. Those are just the four sort of main programs. They're all online. They're all um, sell. They're all they were created from live classes because I was delivering classes for years and years. And then when the cards sort of took over um, my creative process, I made everything um, just it's static. It's online, but there's like yeah, tons of free stuff, tons of free classes, and then regular classes that you can participate. In. And I do still run a monthly. Um, live Q and A, and I run some live rounds sometimes, so there's still access. But the the education has been used by um, other people. You can you can facilitate the communication classes, for example, for parents, for educators, for professional development. So I have people that will um, get a facilitator license, and I train other educators since I don't work directly with parents. Um, that's been something that I've been doing for the last few years is training. We have 30 educators now that I've trained with my curriculum that I wrote. 
So, so I want to jump on that real quick because as, as you've been talking about this and working with educators and the educators in, in uh, California using your curriculum, uh, one of the things I thought, and I know we're not done with our first interview here, but the, the seed is already in my head for our second interview. And what I thought is, wouldn't it be great to, to have you come back sometime with an educator or two that's been using your, um, you know, your curriculum and talk about how they use it in the classroom. So maybe we can connect later to th think about other opportunities. Cause I, you know, I think, you know, it's really important to, you know, kind of share these ideas and, and get people, you know, using these, these kind of uh, programs in the classroom. So, um, yeah, I don't want to put you on the spot, but, uh, something to think about. No, I would love that. And this is more of my favorite formats too, because, I don't know. It's just, I just love, I love talk. I love these conversations. I love having people. I just love sharing with people to give them information, ideas and support on how they can make it happen too for their kids or their students. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one uh, of the things that I, one of the things that I see, um, it's very easy to get extremely discouraged um, with the fact that we continue to have restraint and seclusion, expulsion, spanking, all of these things. Um, and we continue to have fights in legislature to be able to write laws that prohibit procedures that are known to be traumatic. All of that is very discouraging. And when I think about what's going to make a change, I think it is, we had the same we had this uh, a little bit of the same kind of conversation with um, Stuart Shankar Tuesday. What's going to make a change? I don't think it's going to be. I think we need to change laws. We need to. We need to get the leaders at the top in the education field, the criminal justice, the uh, child welfare, all of those things. But honestly, systems are so ingrained that I think it is things like what you are doing, and it is those people who are using what they learn from you, the teachers and the parents expanding and exploding in the number of people who know this and who demand, who begin, there begin to be so many who say, no, we don't have to do consequences. We don't have to be punitive. It doesn't matter that we call it positive, it's still punitive. The more people that are learning through your work and the work of others, and are working together as teachers and parents together, I think that's where we're going to see the change. That's just my vision of the future. <laughs> I think parents have, like you said, educators and also parents, we have so much power to change if we, I mean, it's hard because there's so, you know, every, there's so many challenges in our world that need attention, right? So we have to, the people that can focus on this because I just totally lost my train of thought. And it was a really good thought too. And it just went right oh, out of my head. It's so, I think because it's so frustrating to me that, that it's, that we have such barbaric um, things that we do to children in schools. Um, if we stand up and say that we won't let this happen anymore, how do we get, I, oh, that's what it was. I had an, uh, a woman from a library in 
um, sort, of, sort of a rural town in Colorado. She said it wasn't a very big town um, and they were looking for a parenting program. They're going to be doing parenting classes at their um, at the library. But the, the woman from the Department of County Services um, wanted to approve the program. And I just, I didn't even care if she used my program, but I wanted to call her back to find out what, because she said, I've had a bunch of programs recommended to me and yours was one. And I wanted to, and I was like, oh, which other programs are recommended? Because I just wanted to make sure that there was no punitive stuff on that list. And I call, I talked to her for like 45 minutes and I'm like, thank you for listening to me. I hope that you find, you know, and I sent her all the stuff about my program as well, but I, I told her the ones that I did not approve of. And it's my, it was just my voice, like me taking the time to say, to show, and I didn't do it in a mean way. I was like, I just care so much. Thank you so much for listening to me as a parent and an advocate. And it's, it's, those kinds of voices, I think that if wherever we can speak up, because then she didn't know any of this stuff that I was telling her. She didn't know that this one program was actually pretty punitive and not one that, you know, I would recommend for um, using with parents. That's, of course, just my opinion, but I feel very strongly about it. Mm-hmm. But it was just me making her aware. And she was very grateful to have all that information to be able to look up and share. And that, I think, makes a difference. If we go to our schools and say that we don't want this happening. And that's like a big dream. You know, like I can say that obviously we need ground level action as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so any way that I can help support that on yeah. that level, um, please let me know because sometimes I feel like I'm like useless. Like I'm not make you know, like what can I do? It's so hard. It's like, nobody's listening to us. It feels like. But but you're doing it right now. I mean, th- these conversations that we're having, that's the point. You know, we want, you know, we've got an audience that's made up of, of parents who have had kids that have been restrained and secluded, of self-advocates, of, of teachers and administrators that, that want to do better, of attorneys, of, of all sorts of people. And whenever we do these programs, the idea is, you know, if you're a parent, share it with your, your teachers and educators. If you're a teacher, you know, share it with your parents. You know, we want to bring more awareness around these issues. So what you're doing right now in this conversation is, is making a difference. So, you know, I, I really believe that, you know, and I said this recently to another ally, but like we're all in this together. And, and the more of us that come together um, and, and raise awareness through through our channels and our um, audiences, you know, we're making progress. I think there's some positive things happening. Yes, they're and, definitely. And you're, you're very much a part of that. You know, you're very much a part of bringing about positive change. Well, I hope that I am. I am helpful to some, and you know, organizations like yours are. I feel like sometimes you got like the big ones that are doing the policy level work. That is what's so important to me because you're right. The legislation we need to make our schools safe right. for children, and that's where I. I you're right. There is change. And sometimes I just get defeated because it feels like there's just another story where a child or someone was um, hurt. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you mentioned, uh, let me just get this real quick, Beth, while I have this thought in my head, because it will fly away. But you mentioned kind of the barbaric things that we do to kids. And, and you were just kind of saying about kids getting hurt. And of course, a big part of our mission is is to reduce and eliminate practices like restraint and seclusion to, to see a reduction in, in all of these things that we're doing to kids, suspension, expulsion, uh, the school to prison pipeline to, to do better things. Um, so how does conscious communication help to reduce situations that might lead to things like restraint and seclusion? Well, it's fo- I think restraint and seclusion are focused, like we said earlier, on that power paradigm. So I have to overpower you to create change. 
And when we use conscious communication, when we, we go in and we seek relationship, we seek to understand. So it's just a completely different mindset. And if we're creating, and it's not one step, it's not like, oh, you, you suddenly start to talk to kids this way and all of a sudden again, magically changes. But if this is a community environment, this is the way people are resolving conflict. That, I mean, I don't, I don't even want to say that the need, the need is never there. We never need to use restraint and seclusion, but the, the administrators or the educators or the SROs, whoever's in there that feels the need to use that, if they had these tools, if they had another way to communicate and walk in and address a child who's struggling, a child who's terrified, not and terrified because we think that, oh, there's nothing to be terrified. There's no one trying to hurt them. They're in a safe school. And we don't know that their, you know, their perception of threat is completely different than what we're assuming. So I think it creates an environment of collaboration, of, of community um, that will then make those, you know, it's not like we'll never have negative right. behaviors, but we'll have other ways to help children regulate. Yeah, and avoid the escalation in the first place. Yeah, avoid, exactly. I'm totally. Yeah, so uh, I want to say something about safe schools, but first I want to say about that escalation is that when we look at, uh, go back and look at the kids who are severely injured or killed in, in restraints, you see that this one threw a sandwich, this one kicked a wall, this one... Uh, I yeah. mean, there, there's nothing. There's nothing. There is nothing uh, about what the uh, triggering action was that demanded ending up with a restraint, let alone one that killed them. Um, but the problem is, the adults have a mindset of, like you say, the power thing. You can't let him get away with it. He's being disrespectful. Whereas when we do that shift, which was one of the things I love about the cards is to shift the mindset, which is what all the leaders are saying to us. See these behaviors as, as uh, not as being threats to you, the adult, um, but as a, um, a, a stress that the child is having. We have great potential. We don't have to, I agree with you, we don't have to restrain and seclude if we, the adults, did not escalate what starts as a very minor thing. Um, so the other thing I wanted to say was, uh, we talk about safe schools and the, and the thing, the problem with talking about safe schools is we're talking about uh, two very different definitions. So for a lot of people, the safe schools, a lot of the people in power, safe schools mean um, one thing, for me, and I expect for you guys too, it means kids feel safe. They are safe enough that they can relax and learn. They have a sense of internal safety and, and comfort. They're not feeling threatened all day long by, am I gonna screw up? Am I gonna get in trouble? Am I gonna miss this? Am I gonna be able to do what that is done? Is someone gonna yell at me? The safety is what the kid feels not what the environmental safety, which is often what's talked about when we talk about safe schools. So we have to break those apart. Yeah, very, very separate um, things, the environmental aspects yeah. and the emotional climate of the, of the school. Is that safe? That's definitely. And the thing that's so beautiful is that when you do the one, the, the kids feeling safe, you take care of the other. 
just like the learning. When the kids feel safe, they're free to learn and their academics are better. So it's, it's win, win, win. <laughs> and children have a, a right to live without fear of adults. Yep. I think yeah. that uh, we, we kind of think that fear is useful to us as adults and, and, and it's not. I mean, children just don't, we just don't afford them that same right to live without fear that we, that we, we all expect that we should be able to have that right. Not that that is, you know, happening everywhere, but it's something that we expect and that we think is, is what we deserve. And yet, do we really afford that to children? Do we even think about it? I think we just, well, just don't. There's like an afterthought a lot of the times, children. We do we think that you know, well, we're feeding them and we're educating them, and they're safe in terms of like physical safety in this building. So what more do they need? And we forget about the really important piece that <laughs> the emotional climate is shaping their responses, shaping their development. Right. Mm-hmm. So we are getting just about to the end here. So we've got time for a couple more questions. But um, before we we get there, um, I just want to ask you, um, you know, where can people learn more? I I put the the link to your website and Facebook page up. Um, Mm -hmm. Are are there other places that people should go to learn more about kind of the work that you're doing? So you can, everything is pretty much linked from teachthroughlove.com. And I know it says like that you don't even have to type in it with all the hyphens. If anybody like is just looking for me later, you can just type in teach through love and and you'll find me. Um, But I'm on YouTube. Everything's under teach through love on YouTube and all the regular social media right now. I'm really focused on um, creating communities where parents feel supported in terms of, okay, they're like trying to make these shifts but how, how do I do it without my, nobody in my family is doing it or nobody in, you know, my community and my friends are doing it. So online has been really supportive and helping parents have a place to go and feel Mm -hmm. like that they can get answers that they can get supported where they might not be able to get it in their real life. So. Mm -hmm. I I appreciate that. And I thank you for that because I think uh, when parents are trying, first of all, I'm going to speak for myself. I had these, I always felt like, you know, someone's watching, am I doing it right? Am I doing what's expected of a good parent? And then of course your kids screwing up is obviously you're not a good parent, but I don't believe that, but that's what you feel like. Well, yeah, um, many parents feel that. Yeah, and so, and then, so when you try to do things like, and I know particularly for parents who have kids who challenge them, um, if you're not doing the consequences, which is the, the thing that everybody continues to say, then you are pretty much isolated uh, in many communities as being, you're, no wonder your kid's doing that. You're not doing the consequences you should. Parenting is so isolating uh, for someone who is trying to um, do a humanistic, respectful, um, loving way, as opposed to this set consequences um, kind of thing. So the I love that you have the, the resource for people because we have to get people out of this isolated kind of feeling. And the more we can bring parents together, then I think that will all build, build for the good of individual parents and for the good of the whole community and the country. Yes. And beyond. And beyond, small steps, small steps, right? And they build up to big changes. 
Yeah. yeah th th this is really great work that you're doing and we really appreciate you coming, coming out and spending some uh, virtual time with us today over here. Well, um, absolutely. I'm, I'm the grateful one. Oh no, no, absolutely. We, we really appreciate it. And uh, like I said, I'd love to have you back again and, and maybe do something really focused on, on educators and talk about how they're incorporating, you know, your curriculum in, in their classrooms and how that's working. Um, but this has really been fantastic. I, I love the conversation. Do you have any final thoughts or, or kind of take home messages you want to leave people with? For me, I always tell people it's about being conscious, not perfect. So don't walk away thinking that, oh my gosh, I'm blaming my kids or I'm saying something wrong. Like, just like we were saying, but it's not no judgment, just, just be conscious and, you know, just try to stay. And if you are reactive, you are reactive and then you get to repair and repair is a great way to secure relationship. Um, and I know, cause I have to do a lot of repair myself. So conscious, not perfect is my takeaway. <laughs> we we, we learn by doing right. And, and when we, yes. when we learn no better, we do better. And, and that's what this is what all we about. Most need to learn. So that's right. That's right. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much again for joining us. And, and Beth, thank, thank you. you as always. Uh, I've got a couple announcements, but I'll let you go and make sure that I, I have you out on time as, as promised. So thank you again. And we'll look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you so much. All righty. Um, so a couple quick announcements. Uh, thank everybody again for uh, joining us today and encourage you as always to share these. Um, you know, th this is a great opportunity to share ideas with others. Uh, the, the cards, of course, are a great resource. Um, I do also want to kind of uh, mention today um, a lot's going on around the country and, and even beyond in terms of restraints of seclusion and legislation. Uh, right now in Maine, there are efforts to pass uh, legislation, much like the Keeping All Students Safe Act uh, that has been introduced previously on the federal level. Maine is trying to introduce their own version of that that would uh, eliminate the use of seclusion, uh, eliminate the use of prone restraint, uh, reduce the use of, of other forms of restraint. Uh, that's been uh, moving forward, but has hit some roadblocks. Uh, people that uh, think that restraint and seclusion are, are safe and necessary, which of course they're not. So anything we can do to help our uh, allies in Maine would be great. Also in Illinois, they're working on legislation right now to ban the use of prone restraint. Uh, and there's some discussion about waiting two or three years to do that. Uh, we need to do it right away. It's a dangerous intervention. So anything, any way that we can help others, a win that we have in Maine or Illinois uh, is helpful to uh, all of us as we try to get better uh, policies and, and practices in place across the, the nation. I do wanna mention real quickly, we've got another event coming up in two weeks. Uh, and let me just share that with you real quick. Uh, we've got uh, Susan Hopkins that's going to be joining us. Uh, Susan is, Dr. Susan Hopkins is from the Merit Center uh, in Canada, and she's going to be talking about self-regulation in schools for educators. Uh, should be a really great event. Uh, we recently had the opportunity to talk to Dr. Sert Schenker as well. That event has been recorded and will be shared with the audience later. So anyway, thank you all for joining us today. It's been a lot of fun as always. Uh, I hope you've uh, had an opportunity to learn some new things and uh, learn about um, some things that we can be doing to better support our kids. So thank you. Look forward to seeing you again soon.